you believe that, say amen. Man, y'all ain't looking that good now. That's good. That's good. Wow. Happy Valentine's Day to you. I pray that, uh, men, do you know that tomorrow is Valentine's Day? We discovered in Sunday school that there might be some of you that don't know that tomorrow is Valentine's Day. And if you don't know that tomorrow is Valentine's Day, you need to know that. And you need to make the proper adjustments. Amen. You need to make sure that you're prepared for that because if you're not, you're going to pay a price. Amen. So uh, make sure that you get your, your lovely one something beautiful for Valentine's Day. Let her know how much you love her. I'd like to begin today by, by sharing a little story with you. It's a story about a man named John Blanchard. John Blanchard stood up from the bench where he was sitting and he straightened up his army uniform and he studied the people as they walked through Grand Central Station. He was looking for a girl whose heart he knew but whose face he'd never seen. He was looking for a girl with a rose. You see, he became interested in her about 13 months before that in a Florida library. While he was browsing through some books, he found one with some notes penciled in the margin of the pages. And then uh, he read those poetic words, and they reflected such a passion, and they reflected such profound wisdom. And then he looked in the front of the book, and sure enough, he found the previous owner's name, Miss Holly Maynell. And John just felt driven after reading those words. He felt driven to find this woman whose words were so elegant and pure. And so with a lot of time and a lot of effort, he found her address in New York City. And he mailed her a letter introducing himself and inviting her to be a pen pal. The very next day, John was shipped overseas for service in World War II. But for the next year and a half, Holly and John kind of grew closer together through the mail. Each letter was like a seed that was falling on a fertile ground, for you see there was a romance budding. John had requested a photo of Holly, but she refused. She thought that if he really cared, it wouldn't matter what she looked like. And though he had never seen Holly, he'd fallen in love with her through all those many letters. Finally, the day came for him to return home from Europe, and the two scheduled their first meeting, 7 o'clock, Grand Central Station in New York City. Holly wrote, you'll recognize me by the red rose I'll be holding. And so there he was, 7 o'clock, Grand Central Station as he promised, looking for the girl whose heart that he loved, but whose face he'd never seen. Then out of nowhere, as John says it, a young woman started coming toward me. Her figure was long and slim, her blonde hair tucked behind her delicate ears. Her lips were full and her cheeks were firm and her beautiful green dress reminded him of springtime. He said, I started toward her, forgetting all about that rose. And with a gorgeous smile, she said, Going my way, sailor? He said almost uncontrollably, I took a, took a step toward her, and then I looked over her shoulder, and I saw Holly. She was standing almost directly behind this girl in the green dress. Holly was a woman well past 40, very homely looking. Her hair was tucked underneath a hat, and her dress was very plain. 
And then as that beautiful girl in the green dress walked by, I was kind of split in two. I wanted to follow her, but my heart belonged to Holly. And there she stood, Holly. Her pale, plump face was gentle. Her gray eyes were warm, but she just wasn't much to look at. I knew this could never be love, but perhaps it could be something precious. Maybe it could even be better than love. So even though I was choking with disappointment, I extended my hand and I said, Hi, I'm Lieutenant John Blanchard. You must be Holly Maynow. I'm glad to meet you. Can I take you to dinner? She barely smiled and she said, Son, I don't know what all this is about. But this young lady in a green dress begged me to hold this red rose. And she said, if you ask me out for dinner, I should tell you she's waiting across the street in the restaurant. She said it was some kind of test. Do you have an enduring love that goes beyond your spouse's appearance? Do you have a love that endures beyond your spouse's faults? Has your love endured through all the changing seasons of life? Or is your fire kind of flickering? Maybe that fire of love is snuffed out. I want to tell you today that if so, you can reignite your fire. You can reignite that fire. Because friends, I'm the first one to know that lasting relationships can be hard. They can be a real challenge. As we begin to settle down in our comfort zones, often we gain a few pounds. As we raise our kids, stress levels rise. And as the years roll on, we wrinkle. Sometimes familiarity can make our relationships grow dull and predictable. So how? How do we keep our love for one another enduring for a lifetime? You know as well as I do, there's all kinds of love. There's a, a, a love for food, amen? There's a love for our jobs. We can have a love for a hobby or love for a sport. Any Alabama fans here this morning? War Eagle, I hear you. Okay, okay, okay. All right, settle down. We're talking about love here. You can have love for things. You can have love for money. You can even have love for the way something feels. But what kind of love do we need for our relationships to thrive and grow? What kind of love do we need for our relationships to endure the test of time? You may not know this, but the Bible mentions four kinds of love. It's four kinds of love that I believe that we need to experience all of them. In the course of a marriage. The first one is a word called eros. And eros is that sensual kind of love that makes your heart skip a beat. There's phileo. That's the kind of love that friends enjoy. There's sergeis. That's family love. The kind of love you have for a family member. But there's also agape. And that's God's kind of love. God's kind of love, a self-giving, sacrificial kind of love that looks beyond our faults. And it's this type of love that I want to talk about this morning. 
It's this type of love that above all others, we need to develop and nurture in our relationships if we're going to experience an enduring love that will last a lifetime. So how do I develop? How do I nurture? How do I keep God's agape love in my relationship? If you would, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, and let's discover what the scriptures teach about God's kind of love. In 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, and he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, say in this, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this, say in this, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, for no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, would you teach us about your love this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So how do we nurture and keep God's agape love in our relationships? Well, I believe that the first choice we must make to keep God's love in the center of our relationships is you got to receive God's love. you got to receive God's love. Did you hear it there? Uh, beginning actually in verse 9, you spoke of it. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent. Say sent. The love of God has been manifested toward us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent. Say sent. He loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. Men, if you're a man, raise your hand. Men, I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that you can't know how to really love your wife until you know what real love is. You can't know how to love until you first know what real love is. You can't love a woman unless you've accepted the love of God for yourself. Women, if you're a woman, raise your hand. Women, you can't truly love your husband until you have received the love God has shown you first. You see, before we come together as a couple, we need to be in the position where we have accepted the greatest love of all, the love of God. See, all of us need to know. All of us need to know the love of God that has been demonstrated to us even though we were still sinners. God's Son, Jesus Christ, paid the price. Paid the price for us to be in a relationship with God. That's the greatest love of all. But one of the greatest setbacks in marriages today, one of the greatest setbacks in relationships today is when one or both does not have an abiding relationship with God. That's one of the greatest setbacks of our marriages today. 
And it's either they don't have an abiding relationship with God or they're not putting God in his rightful place as number one in their lives. Receiving Christ and then living for Christ will open your heart to a brand new love story. Brand new love story. The love of God that he has for you and the love of God that he has for your spouse. A brand new love story. For you see, once we've received the greatest love of all, then all of a sudden we have an example to follow. Once we've been persuaded that God loves us, then we have a model. A model that we can have to show love in our relationships. And I love how the New Living Translation translates Romans 8.38. It's where Paul says, I am convinced. I am convinced that nothing, say nothing, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Death can't. Life can't. Angels can't. Demons can't. Our fears for today and our worries for tomorrow, even the powers of hell, can't separate us from the love of God. Whether they're high above the sky or whether you're in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that has been revealed on a cross like that one. Nothing. See, relationships between men and women can blossom, but really only as they begin to understand that they are beneficiaries, that they have received the greatest love of all. However, you and I both know that just because we have received the love of God is no guarantee that our relationships will be successful. It's sad that even Christians face divorce and separation in alarming rates. So what's the keys? What is the key? Not only do we have to receive God's love for ourselves, to grow in God's love in our relationships, we must also reciprocate God's love. Verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. Would you say love one another? Let us love one another. That's reciprocating God's love. Let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God for God is love. You see, that which we perceive and that which we receive, we must then share with our mates. We've got to remember, since God Almighty loves us, since God Almighty loves our spouse, then the Bible says we have to love them too. No matter what, we have to love them too. I believe that the scriptures teach us that we have a God-given responsibility. A God-given responsibility to exhibit love in our marriages and in all our relationships. That means not only are we to declare our love we're also to display our love not only are we to say our love but we're also to show our love not only are we to explain our love we're also to exhibit our love for God demonstrated say demonstrated God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for he demonstrated. He showed that love. Aren't you glad that God just didn't say, I love you? 
Aren't you glad that instead he went the extra mile and he proved his love for us? Friends, words are cheap. Words are cheap. And if you want me to believe that you love me, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but you're going to have to show me. You're going to have to prove it to me. We have a responsibility to demonstrate God's love. To demonstrate God's love in our marriages and in all our relationships. God's love. Agape love. God's kind of love. That kind of love is supposed to be shown. And that love is shown even when it's undeserved. Even when you're not getting it back. Agape love is shown even when it's unreciprocated, even when it's unappreciated. God's love is shown. I'm so glad that God didn't wait for me to appreciate his love before he loved me. I'm so glad that God didn't wait for me to love him, to wait to love me until I warranted his love somehow. I fear I never would have been loved by God if that was the case. See, God loves us even when we don't deserve it. God loves us even when we don't return it. God loves us even when we don't appreciate it. It's agape love. And can I tell you that he calls us to do the same? He calls us to love that way. Agape love. God's kind of love. It enables us to rise above the trials. God's kind of love. Agape love uh, enables us to rise above the failures, to rise above the trials, to rise above the setbacks, to rise above all the disappointments. And then and only then can we begin to experience enduring love that will last a lifetime. So the keys to, to keeping our relationships thriving and growing, to, to, to keep our relationships enduring, is first we've got to receive God's love for ourselves. And then we've got to reciprocate God's love. But you know the word also says that we're to imitate God's love. Look with me in verse 10. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent. Say loved us and sent. He loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. Agape love, that love I mentioned before, agape love is not self-seeking. In fact, agape love, the only way that agape love can function properly is through self-sacrifice. See, agape love is not a feeling. It's a response. Agape love is not an emotion, it's evidence. Agape love is not a mood, it's a choice. Agape love is not some empty sentiment. No, agape love is an act of the will. An act of the will. Agape love is demonstrated to somebody else and putting self last. Now, we'll spend some time next week in Ephesians, but 
This one jumped out at me. In Ephesians 5.25, Paul said, Husbands are to love our wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Did you hear that? He gave himself for her. He gave himself for her. He gave himself for her. Did you hear Christ's will? He gave himself for her. Did you hear Christ's response to our greatest need? He gave himself for her. Did you hear the choice that Jesus made? He gave himself for her. And God says, husbands, love your wives just like Christ. Give yourself for her. I read a story about the little daughter of Princess Alice in England. The daughter was seriously ill with diphtheria. And the doctors told the princess, don't kiss your daughter or you'll be endangering your own life by breathing her breath. But once the child was struggling to breathe and the mother, forgetting herself, took the little girl in her arms and, and to keep her from choking to death. And gasping and struggling for breath, the little girl said, Mommy, would you kiss me? Without even thinking, without a second thought, the mother tenderly kissed her daughter. And within days, the princess contracted diphtheria. And a few days after that, she went home to be with the Lord. But the daughter lived. Real love, agape love, Forgets all about self. Real love, agape love, doesn't know anything about danger. Real love doesn't count the cost. For real love, agape love is sacrificial. See, God loved and sent. He gave himself. As we begin to imitate God's love, it's then that we can develop enduring love in our relationships. Think about this for a second. To ensure, say ensure. To ensure that his relationship would endure, say endure. To ensure that his relationship with us would endure, God cherished us to the point of sacrifice. For God so loved that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. So loved, gave. He cherished you to the point of sacrifice. Sacrificing his son. Can I tell you that he calls you to do the same? To imitate him in our relationships. So, to keep our marriages, to keep our relationships growing and thriving, we have to receive God's love. We have to reciprocate God's love. We also must imitate God's love. But finally, the word calls us to demonstrate God's love. Verse 11. Beloved, if... Brother Marshall brought this to our attention in Sunday school that often when the word if is used, it also means since. Can we rephrase that? 
Beloved, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, but since we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. Demonstrate God's love. You see, in order to possess this enduring love I'm talking about this morning, in order to have the power to stand against hardship and setback in your marriages, in order to have the ability to, to keep on going, even when you're facing setbacks, you've got to demonstrate God's love for one another. You've got to show. I believe that we ought to consider our marriages a platform where we can demonstrate God's love to our spouse. What a wonderful place to demonstrate the love of God than in a marriage. Do you remember your marriage vows to one another? So many couples tend to forget them, especially when times get tough. But we need to be reminded that we are in our marriages to demonstrate the love of God to one another so that we can endure a lifetime of love. To have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as you both shall live. This is my solemn vow. Do you remember your vows? Do you remember your vows that you spoke to one another? In the very beginning of your marriage, you demonstrated, you were called to demonstrate the love of God. That through thick and thin, your love was to endure. Did you hear about the couple that was married about 15 years? They seemed to be arguing all the time. They wanted their marriage to work, so they both agreed on the wife's idea. And so for one month, each one agreed to use a fault box. A fault box. Those boxes would provide a place where each one could let the other know about how they irritated each other so they didn't have to argue. Y'all would like, like to do that, wouldn't you? The wife was diligent. Man, she put in slips of paper back to back to back. Some of those papers said something like this, left the lid off the jelly jar. Wet towels in the bathroom floor. Dirty socks not in the hamper. Toilet lid left up. And then after dinner, at the end of a month, they exchanged boxes. The husband reflected on all that he'd done wrong through that month. And then the wife opened her box and she started reading. Just as many slips of paper were in her box. But each one of them said the same thing. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. You see, despite our faults, despite our, our, our negative aspects, despite those things that you really just can't stand about your spouse, amen. You're called to endure. 
You're called to endure with one another in love. Demonstrating God's love. Demonstrating His love toward us. God continues to say to me and you, I love you. I love you. I forgive you. And I want you. I want you in a close relationship with me. Consider all that Jesus Christ endured for you. Consider the beatings he endured. Why? Because he loves you. Consider the shame that he endured. Why? Because he loves you. Consider the pain and the humiliation. Why would he endure such a thing? Because he loves you. Consider the suffering. Even to death on the cross, why would he do such a thing? Because he loves you. He wants to forgive you. And he wants to be close to you. He endured, you see. Endured to the end until his mission was accomplished. That mission? To provide you an opportunity that by you placing your faith in him, you could have an everlasting relationship with God. So I want to ask you this morning, have you made that decision? Have you accepted this enduring love that God has for you? I pray. We pray as a church that you wouldn't walk out of those doors without having received the love of God that he demonstrated to you and that while you were still a sinner, you don't have to be clean first. He'll clean you up after. He demonstrated his love to you and that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. During this decision time, you have an opportunity to make a decision for Jesus. To be absolutely assured that you have an everlasting relationship with God, your creator. But this is also a decision time and an opportunity for you to maybe get right. Maybe you, he's been showing his love for you, but when you look at your life, you know you haven't been showing your love for him. I mean, every sin that we commit as Christians draws a tear to his eye. So is your life saying, Lord, I love you? Or is your life saying, you know, Lord, I really could care less? So what's your decision today? A love that endures forever. Got to receive God's love. Reciprocate God's love. Imitate God's love, and then demonstrate God's love. Let's pray. Father, we cannot adequately describe the love you have for us. All we know for sure is that while we were still in our filth, while we were still in our sin, you loved us so much that you sent you loved us so much that you sent. You loved us so much that you gave.
that's agape love, Lord. That's God's kind of love. So, Lord, I pray not only that we would receive it for ourselves, but, Lord, that we would be diligent to demonstrate it to one another in our marriages, in our relationships with our children and with our parents, with brothers and sisters in Christ, with people who are not yet believers, we pray that we would demonstrate the love of God that has been so richly demonstrated to us. Father, in this decision time, if there's one who's not received the love of Christ, Lord, I pray that, that today would be their day. And Lord, if there's someone who's perhaps been saying, I could care less, Lord, maybe today is a day where they can recommit their life to you and demonstrate their love for you as you have for us. Lord, we love you today, and we thank you so much for the opportunity to worship together. So, Lord, I pray you would have your will and your way in this service this morning. All for your glory alone. And in that name above all names, the Lord of lords and the King of kings, Jesus is his name, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing. Footsteps of Jesus. Sweetly, Lord, we have heard thee calling, come, follow me. And we see where the good prince calling lead us to be.
They're probably uh, the uh, uh, folks from Union Hill are probably not here yet. So. Oh, okay. Okay. Are you a senior? <laughs>